Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Let the grief howl. Let the emails unread. Let the land speak. Let the oceans revenge. This program features the work of 2022 writer Ali Ong. In the first half, you'll hear their conversation with curator Michael Schmelzer, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio. First off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Jack Straw project? Well, my Jack Straw project is a full-length poetry collection that is currently titled Connective Tissue. Who knows if that'll stick, but that's that's what I'm going with for now. Um, and I started writing these poems around the time that the pandemic started, and a lot of these poems are just kind of processing my feelings of of loneliness and disconnection and also just anger at gestures broadly at everything, (laughs) (laughs) at everything happening in the world around us. And um, the poems are also about the things that, that sort of tie us to each other, to the world, to our communities and how that gets us through these wild, wild times. In a previous conversation I had uh, with a Jack Straw writer, uh, we talked about humor's role in helping to deliver uh, tough truths. Mm -hmm. And in your writing, I find this core of joy and pride that almost works in similar fashions. And I was wondering if you can talk about kind of joy as a form of resistance against some of these more harsher realities that people face. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I first started writing poetry, all my poems were just really, really sad and dark. And because, like, you know, that's what I was, that's what was going on in my brain. And I needed to to get it out, you know. Um, But I found that writing only really sad and dark poems was kind of taking a toll on me <laughs> emotionally. And I was like, this is not a sustainable way to to create, to only lean into those darker places. Um, I think without that hope aspect of it, then, then like, what are you writing towards? What are you trying to imagine and build in your writing? Um, if you can't look past the the darkness, which is, you know, it's it, it makes sense why people can't look past the darkness sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for me to be writing towards a better world. And, you know, the abolitionist organizer, Mariam Kaba, she has a quote that says, hope is a discipline. And that is something that I try to practice in my creative practice, um, the discipline of hope. And even when I am writing from a really dark and and seemingly hopeless place i do try to tap into that that joy that levity that hope and that kind of helps me feel like i am building something rather than just exercising my demons which is also it has its own place you mm-hmm. know <laughs> i have a question uh, regarding identity so mm-hmm. um when i first started writing there was a lot of resistance, I would say, to writing things that felt very Japanese to me. Mm-hmm. And 
and then later on, I kind of evolved past that and just am writing whatever I feel like at this yeah. point. Um, how do you juggle your multiple identities when thinking about audience and making sure that it isn't some kind of performance? Because that mm-hmm. is something I struggle with, making sure that I'm not performing my identity in a way that is pleasing to anybody but myself. Yeah, I think I found in my experience that the sort of the white literary establishment only wants marginalized writers when they write about their pain and trauma and in particular in a way that is digestible to the sort of dominant narratives of what it means to be marginalized in this country. Um, So I think going back to your question about joy and hope, I feel like writing about both the the trauma of being a marginalized person in this country and also the joys that come from my identities and my communities is the way that I that I try to navigate that sometimes writers of color and queer writers are kind of expected to write particular types of identity poems or stories or whatever and I try not to think about that too much as I write because I think it's doing my work a disservice if I try to filter it through the lens of what I think is expected of me, either by trying to write into those expectations or against them. I try to just let the work go where it wants and and breathe and be as messy and complicated as it needs to be without worrying about how I am or am not playing into those narratives. But at the same time, I do feel like there's this pressure to either write that very like Asian poem or mm-hmm. or to not write it. So I don't know if I really figured out the trick there, but... Um, it does kind of feel like a, a trick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, the three-dimensionality of all your identities comes out in a very beautiful, nuanced way. Thank you. You're welcome. I know you've done some fundraising work, mm-hmm. and in fundraising or any kind of activist work or things like that, there's often an ask or a call to action. Mm-hmm. And what is it you want to leave your readers or listener with? So when they read a poem of yours or if they hear you read, what is it you want them to take away? What is, is it part of that, that they're not alone or that there mm-hmm. is a community behind them, whether they know it or not? Mm-hmm. Or Sometimes specific poems have very specific asks of the reader. Um, for example, I have some poems that are like, abolish the police, get rid of capitalism. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but, but I think in general it is, I, I want to leave the reader with with that sense of connection to a community or even just to language and um, realizing the the power that that language really has to make some sort of change, even if it's not dramatic revolution social change that's coming from my poems. I don't think my poems can do that, but at least change in the way that you think of a situation or something that you see in your everyday life in a different way. I I would like to 
leave readers with that. I want to talk a little bit about your artist statement you had Mm -hmm. in your Jack Straw application. You said that this particular manuscript you said is an offering to your ghosts and ancestors, Mm -hmm. not necessarily people connected strictly by blood, but shared community and shared Mm -hmm. struggle. And I love that you're thinking backwards uh, towards what came before us. And I'm wondering if you think much about what is going to come after us in the future generations. And it's kind of a two-part question here. What are you offering your ancestry as well as Mm -hmm. what do you want to see from future generations? I think in my own personal family history, there's been a lot of of silence and traumatic things that people don't want to talk about or can't talk about, which I totally understand and respect. But at the same time, I feel like there are a lot of gaps in my own understanding of my lineage because of that. Mm -hmm. And I just think about how much I would love to be able to read the poems of people who came before me, of like my grandparents, great-grandparents, etc. Um, how meaningful it would have been to have some sort of of record of their feelings and their experiences and the way they moved through the world. And I think that leaving that for people who come after me could be meaningful in that same way. And I kind of want to break down that barrier of silence that I have come up against in learning about my own history. Now we'll hear a selection from Ali's live reading. I'm going to start by reading a poem that I have come to like starting my readings with because it feels like a good way to kind of enter this act of reading poetry aloud, which is very scary to me. It's called Invocation. Let the moon wobble. Let the basil plant flower. Let the poets discombobulate. Let the verbs noun. Let the nouns verb. Let the grief howl. Let the emails unread, let the land speak, let the oceans revenge, let the people free, let the people free. This poem, um, the title says it all, I guess. It's called After Prolonged Grief Disorder Was Added to the DSM-5, and it starts with an epigraph from Vivian B. Pender, who is the president of the American Psychiatric Association, and she says, Grief in these circumstances is normal, but not at certain levels, and not most of the day, nearly every day, for months. Today, my heart is working remotely. I watch it thump and thrum reliably behind the blur of a computer screen. A man with a gun opens fire in a subway car. I refresh my emails and reheat the stale remnants of my morning coffee. A dull twinge of dread crystallizes in my throat. 
When I type Asian woman into Google, the algorithm helpfully suggests killed, attacked, stabbed, shoved onto the train tracks, hit by a baseball bat. I hit refresh again. A war breaks out far enough away to be a safe abstraction. Thank God we can finally get back to normal, an acquaintance sighs, as though the millions dead can be swatted out of sight like a mosquito on a humid summer night, smushed against a paper towel, one stubborn limb still twitching until it stops. The employee handbook reads, Don't forget to clock out before you let the fragile ceiling of your grief shatter around you. Don't forget to sweep up the shards on your way out. The truth is, I am bored of my grief. I've written this before, this poem, this elegy, trying to find some assemblage of words, some spell to make sense of this, the cruel machinery of capital grinding relentlessly toward a singular griefless end. This poem, I like, I'm still revising it, so this is like a sneak preview. Ooh. Um, <laughs> it was written, I was in a class with the poet Jane Wong, and she like gave us a prompt to write a poem about everything. So this is my attempt to write a poem about everything, and it's called Everything. <laughs> my mother, my father, and I were all born in the year of the pig. The three little pigs, my mother called us, I thought anything would be better than a pig, an ugly, snout-nosed creature, all dirt and gluttony. Does every animal long to be a different kind of beast? Does a snake lie tossing and turning in its snake bed, dreaming itself a fearsome dragon, awakening with flame still white-hot on its tongue? In graduate school, I write a poem about eating my favorite rice dish, and a professor, White, tells me, if you're going to write that kind of poem, you have to make it stand out. The word that is jabbed in my direction like a finger into my chest. My poem shrivels into a dried up husk. In a dream, I roll around in the mud, snorting and squealing in delight. I relish in my filth. My poems, like me, have been known to talk with their mouths full. They list their obsessions like a spell. Spit, holes, flesh, fruit, teeth, blood, shame. More than anything, I want to make my people proud. When I say my people, I mean those who have held my hand through heartbreak and bad acid trips, those whose names have been forgotten or erased, those whose blood I do or do not share. Despite my skin, despite my posture, despite the dust bunnies holding assembly beneath my bed, despite... My father, brown, is an immigrant, I say to my grandmother, white, at the dinner table after she has tired out another tirade about immigrants ruining the country. I'm 14 years old, mouth newly unmetalled. My cousin's jaws drop mid-chew. Silence deadens the air around me. Wild boars are only known to attack humans in rare circumstances, when they feel cornered or threatened. They will lunge towards their assailant, tearing their teeth through tissue and tendon. 
That's different, my grandmother says, flustered. I mean the ones who sneak in over the border. I am only as dangerous as the world demands me to be. Inside my closed mouth, my canines sharpen. Despite this, I loved her. Despite this, I wept when she died. Despite the pit of resentment still pressing down on my chest. Despite my blood that is also hers. Sometimes, I wonder what would happen if I allowed my poems to grow as big and wild as my longing. If I let them consume me the way a tsunami swallows a village. The way a blue whale swallows mouthfuls of ocean and spits out everything that's not nourishment. I write because I want to create a kinder universe. One where I lock eyes with a cop and he crumbles into dust. One where the prison doors fly open and the land sighs in relief. One where all of our friends are free. In a photograph, I hold my father's hand outside the courtroom at his citizenship ceremony. He is dressed in his one good suit, crisp and stainless. We each wave a tiny American flag and wear a dazzling American grin. Okay, I have one poem in that one. This one's, I'll end on a happy one to live up to my introduction. <laughs> it's, been, I don't, it's been rough out there, you know? <laughs> okay, this poem is called All Girls Go to Heaven. Even the ones whose retainers collect dust under the bed, the ones who kiss with their eyes open, the ones who dog ear their library books, who forget their mother's birthday, but still remember their third grade crush's home phone number. Yes, all girls go to heaven, even the ones who aren't girls at all, but something far murkier, the lovesick, the fatherless, the ungovernable and uncouth. I've heard that heaven looks just like this. Everyone you love in side-by-side -side sleeping bags, stoned off acetone and hushed secrets, holding your best friend's hand until you fall asleep, the summer stretching endlessly ahead of you, as invincible and full as the moon. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production, produced by Carlos Nieto and Daniel Gunther at Jack Straw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, and Ayesha Ubiadelica. Our theme music is by Ron Park, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The 2022 curator of this program is Michael Schmelzer, and the narrator for this podcast is Carlos Nieto. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture King County Lodging Tax, the Washington State Arts Commission, Humanities Washington, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Rainier Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. 
Special thanks to Maddie Lotz and Cassie Nicholson for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.